This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willer for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Okay, great session. Oh, good. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I was a little worried about how the new rules were going to work. Oh, I like really like the chase at the end. Yeah, you ratcheted up the tension and the stakes while keeping it all smooth. So, oh, good. I, again, glad you guys enjoyed it. I wasn't sure how it all was all going to mesh, but um, we made some changes mid encounter, and I think that's like what kind of fixed what was drag and play down. We've had to do it before, but you always do a good job of tweaking the game if it was fun for everybody. Oh, thanks, guys. All right. So with that, welcome to the 471st episode of the Mr. Mark podcast. Tonight, we discuss table culture in your tabletop role-playing games. Along the way, we'll take your comments, examples, and suggestions live from the chat room for life on Twitch before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. Good evening, all, and welcome to the show. Good All right, let's evening. hit our, yeah, good evening. Let's hit our temperature check, good see evening. how everybody's feeling tonight. Phil, how are you feeling? I am feeling, I think, pretty good, actually. Mentally, I'm doing okay. Um, not thrilled with some of uh, current event news, Twitter. <laughs> um, but we'll save that for the after show. Uh, but otherwise, doing okay. Um, and physically, um, nothing that is out of the realms of aches and pains for a 50-year-old dude, right? Like, got a couple, mm-hmm. but they're, the, they're like daily maintenance pain now, right? Testify. Right, exactly. Just, I wake up and I'm like, hmm, that hurts, but whatever. Like, that's just how it is now. Guess I'm just going to live like this. Anyway, um, I'm fine. I'm actually, I'm, I'm totally fine. How about you, Jer? How you doing? Pretty good. A little sleepy today. Uh, I was up late last night helping somebody build a building in, in Valheim, but uh, <laughs> and it's good. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. Uh, the, the weather's gotten past me and uh, got all my boosters, everything, so I'm feeling good. Bob? Yeah, so uh, physically not bad. Uh, had a massage uh, after work, so I uh, got some more uh, therapeutic deep tissue. Uh, I got the hell beat out of me in the, in the neck and shoulder area, <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> um, Make it mentally, work one way or another. Reason, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little discombobulated today. I'm, I'm off, just a little bit off. Uh, forgot to send out the message at 3 o'clock saying the show is tonight and just... Little things here and there. I'm just like, ah, uh, like what? <laughs> like, okay. I understand. So hopefully I can get through the show. <laughs> Otherwise, I feel pretty good. So, all we right. got you covered. Yeah. We got one announcement, an announcement for tonight. Or, three or five or 12 or one. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> we're, we're synced up, right? Yes. Yes, we are. Sounds good. All right. We got one announcement for tonight. Um, our friends at the Gauntlet, uh, Jason Cordova um has kicked off brindlewood bay the kickstarter has launched um it is doing fantastic with uh i think bob's got it up on the board Uh, but i'm gonna while bob shows it off i'll just tell you a couple little things about it brindlewood bay cozy murder mystery rpg right solve murders in a um solve murder mysteries in a creepy cozy town this is like a little bit of murder she wrote a little bit of golden girls and some hp lovecraft all mixed together i love it um 
you can read all about it on the Kickstarter. Um, you can download um, the Kickstarter preview. Like you can just download it and go check it out. Uh, I, the art for this is um, it's so spot on. Um, it's not like it's not an artist. It's it's not an art style I would use for every RPG, but it was absolutely the right style for this RPG. Um, so anyway, uh, check it out. The um, the pledge tiers are pretty reasonable. Um, I'm in it already at the physical uh, level. Um, this is one I definitely want in my uh, in my collection. Um, hits me in all the right places, and it's got a. Um, you got a lot of options here. You can go all digital. You can go um, partial digital, partial book. You can go two because there's two books here. There's the actual Brindlewood Bay Rules, and then there's the Adventures, which is Nephews in Peril. Um, and you can so you can mix and you can mix and match. You can go full digital. You can go all book, or you can get like Brindlewood Bay in hardcover but get nephews in peril in PDF. Like if you're, you know, just going to use that for reference or whatever. It's a nice mix. Anyway, fantastic. The gauntlet um, quality stuff, uh, quality people. Um, and Jason's a fantastic designer, fantastic game master. If you're like, if you're even remotely curious about what this game is like, um, I think you just have to go to YouTube. I think Jason's run it like a billion times on YouTube um, or somewhere out there on the internet, but like, there's no shortage of uh, finding information about it. So good stuff. Uh, and as a little teaser, in the coming weeks, while this Kickstarter is running, um, we will have Jason on the show for uh, for an evening. So we'll have Jason here. We're going to probably talk about mysteries. Um, you know me, I love a good mystery. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, Brindlewood Bay has some neat mystery uh, mechanics. So it'd be kind of cool to uh, get Jason on to talk about mysteries in general and to, of course, talk about Brindlewood Bay. Yeah. Cool. So that's coming up in the coming weeks. Get ready. Yeah. All right. Well, if that finishes our announcements, then it's time for our feature segment. What's your whistle there, Phil? No. Oh, you ready yeah, to go? Hang on. Ooh, I was <laughs> totally unprepared for that. Sorry. Hang on. Mm-hmm. And Go. Workshop! Workshop! We're talking about creating table culture. What exactly is a table culture? Is it a social contract? It's kind of like a social contract, but it's more than just a social contract, and we're going to get into all of it tonight here where? In the workshop. In those up. All right. So tonight's topic was inspired by the forums user, Mike, who asked, other than common courtesy, manners, and trying to lead by example, thank you for tonight's game. Thank you, everybody, for tonight. I appreciate this, and this is our last session. How can we help cultivate a table environment that is conducive for positive feedback and GM encouragement? So we're going to work on that question tonight and expand to include other things like players providing things like recaps, character wishes, and other contributions. In other words, how do you cultivate an engaged table environment or engaged table culture for your group? All right. And of course, we're going to need some definitions to frame out the discussion. So let me set Phil up with this. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Yeah, we do have some definitions for tonight. Um, let me roll through them. I'm going to go through them um, a little slowly uh, because we have some things that are going to um, kind of overlap, and I want to make sure that we're clear on them. So first, let's build from the ground up. Culture, the shared set of attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution or organization. Right, That's just our standard textbook definition. We'll modify that to table culture, 
the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize the group you are playing with. Table culture is focused on a group of people rather than a game, although the game you're playing may also influence your table culture. Um, that group of people that you play with, it could just be like your like home group, right? Like my sat my Sunday night game, um, what either one of my Sunday night games, right? Of which Bob and Jerry are, are part of both. Um, or it could be larger, like an online community, like the Gauntlet community, right? The Gauntlet community runs um, hundreds of online games, uh, and they've actually developed their own uh, table culture in order, like just as their way of how they play games. So again, table culture um, being that shared set of values, goals, and practices. Okay. The next one, and this is the one that even Bob caught this during pre-show, and I want to make sure that we highlight it very clearly, social contract. Social contract is the written or unwritten, and if it's unwritten, it is either implicit or sometimes explicit, rules under which your gaming group operates, covering everything from when and how often you game to how much out-of-character discussion is allowed at the table. If that sounds a little like table culture, it's because it is. Um, your table culture is what your table, um, like that is what your table does. Your social contract is how you codify that. And you don't necessarily codify every part of your table culture in your social contract, right? Like some things about your table culture could just be um, just the way you do things and other things like for instance, um, in the gauntlet community, when you are playing online, um, it is part of their table culture to mute to mute your mic when you're not speaking so that your background noises don't um uh what you call it, come in over the other you know like oh, while other people are talking right and that can be part of a social contract right like you can write that part down that says like we mute our mics when we're not speaking but you might not mute things like um our primary purpose for getting together every week is um really to hang out and socialize, or we're here to play some high drama games, right? You may not exact, you may not write that into your social contract. So there's definitely an overlap between these two things. If you are, as Bob mentioned to me at the, during pre-show, if you are listening to this and thinking, well, that sounds like social contract, you are not wrong. A lot of this can get put into a social contract, but table culture is what your table is. Social contract is how you, uh, the agreement you make to make your table culture. I'm going to ask Bob, does that sound good? I'm good. Okay, good, good. No, it's good. You brought, I mean, we always, you yeah. know, for people who don't know, like when we do pre-show, we kind of go through the notes and talk about stuff and Bob brought it up. And in these cases, um, if one of us has a question, it's likely you all who are listening to it and not looking at the notes will have a question. So we like to, I just wanted to pause and make sure that we really uh, tease those two things out. All right, let's get through a couple other definitions. Um, these are a um, little easier contributions. Um, the part played by a person or thing in bringing about a result or helping something to advance at the table contributions, it's something that's given, um, typically from GMs to players. Um, this might be, um, like require a little, uh, work offline. So this, um, Jerry, give us some examples. Like what are some, like, what are some contributions like players could provide or GMs could ask players to provide backgrounds and backstories, wish lists. Uh, the players can do a recap of what happened last week, talk about campaign goals, um, 
basically anything that's going to help to kind of give the GM some direction and keep everybody on the same page. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I've got, you know, I think you have too, right. I've, I've done a, um, I've done a variety of those over the years um, in different forms. We'll talk about it a little in a little bit uh, feedback. Um, and this ties right to the opening of our show. Feedback is information about reactions to a product, a person's performance of a task, et cetera, which is used as the basis for improvement. And I think that's a key part there, right? Uses a basis for improvement. Um, this is a type of contribution. Um, and it's often one that is most often requested by the GM um, of the players, right? The GM would like feedback for how things went. Um, and it is a it is a thing that we GMs use to understand how the game's going, what parts are more enjoyable, less enjoyable, not enjoyable. And then we can then use that information to um, make changes to the game, right? And we could do a whole show and me at some point do a whole show on feedback because feedback is often tricky. Um, feedback gets into the ideas of being candid versus being polite um, and difficult conversations and things like that. These are th like good feedback is not always easy to hear. Yeah. And so sometimes people take the polite route rather than being candid. And there's like a big difference between being candid and blunt and all those things. We really could do a whole episode on feedback. We probably, Bob, I, I should probably write that down. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Okay, cool. All right. So all of that being said, Jerry, before we get into creating a culture, can you speak to why feedback and contributions are actually important? All right, we're going to start by discussing this from a very GM-centric point of view, because in traditional games, which make up most of the ones we're playing, the GM is somewhat set apart from the players. Um, while the GM has a number of roles to play, one of them is to entertain the players. Yeah, so make no mistake, the players have a similar role to entertain each other as well as the GM. But as Jerry said, we're going to um, make this GM-focused. Um, because in addition, the GM does far more work in a given week than the players generally do. This is going to include prep, organizing the game, getting things set up, um, you know, making sure they have all the details ready. Yeah. And, and like, to be honest, right, at times that work's not always fun, right? Especially if other things are going on, like, you know, work's blowing up or got a sick kiddo or like something like that, right? Sometimes that work isn't as much fun. And so most GMs find that the reward for all this work is to know that everybody's having fun. And the primary way to let your GM know this is through feedback. Now, GMs can and should also read the table. What we've talked about here in on Pandas, reading the table is always hit and miss. So it's always better if the players provide clear feedback because that's much easier to, pro to uh, process. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Contributions are another way to understand how engaged everyone is with the game. It's not as reliable though. Like feedback, like look, candid feedback is the best way right? Mm -hmm. But contributions are a good indicator. Mm -hmm. um, if players are engaged with the game, they are more likely to provide contributions and do them faster or more elaborate. Mm -hmm. If players are less, inter less interested, less engaged, or detached from a game, then they may not even do any contributions when asked, or they do them half-heartedly or forget to, you know, like do them right at the table because they forgot to do it between games or something. It's a pretty good indicator. It's not rock solid, but um, it's been my experience 
in my advanced age that that's a pretty decent lead indicator. I always love how he says that in my advanced age, he's the youngest one here. So. <laughs> and now, this is like, this show is like, this show is just old white guys. Like we're just old white guys. <laughs> yes. uh, old white guys talk about RPGs. That's right. <laughs> now, back in episode 460, we did talk about the table energy model. Yeah. So in a nutshell, we're not going to do this too deeply. The excitement of the players feeds into the GM. An excited GM work like works harder and creates stuff that then makes the game more exciting for the players and it loops, right? Yep. So if your table culture lacks feedback or lacks contributions, the GM's likely not feeling the player's excitement unless it starts to drain their own energy, which can lead to the GM losing interest in the game and putting less energy back into it. So we'd recommend that you go back and listen to 460 for more about uh, the table energy model. But it's important to understand that at the end of the day, what we're talking here about here is the GM and players giving feedback that feeds each other energy that keeps the game exciting and fun. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so feedback and contributions are important, though they're not the only parts of a table culture. Phil, how do you go about designing a table culture? Yeah, in all likelihood, your table culture was informally created through multiple sessions of play. Right. You just get together, you play, and then just kind of like one day you have a table culture. Um, that's totally legit. Right. But you could create a table culture as a deliberate process, like an active deliberate process of creation. You can even create a table culture and supplant an existing informal one. Right. So you could actually say like, what we're doing today is okay, but we could do better and actually build a better table culture and replace the one you have. And there are a ton of ways to do this. Um, And no surprise, all of them are some form or another of good communication, right? The foundation of all of this is just good communication. For this segment tonight, we're going to outline one such way. Um, In the time that we have in the show, it would be impossible for us to cover every detail of how to do this, so we're going to show this to you in really broad strokes tonight. Uh, but I think you'll get it as we as we talk about it. Our method is going to be a group discussion. Now, this could be done face to face. This could be just done. This could be done online, like in a Zoom call or whatever. But it assumes that like we're all together and able to talk to each other. Uh, we're going to focus on three questions that we want the group to answer um, as individuals and for the group. And our method, we're going to use some sort of notes, like post-it notes. If we're physically in the same space, we could use post-it notes. Um, Or we can um, use an online whiteboard like Miro or the Microsoft whiteboard that goes with Teams to put up our our notes, right? So we can do this physically. We can do this virtually. This works in either medium. Um, And we're going to write some things down on those notes and we're going to post them up. And then we're going to like pick up those notes and sort them. Um, and we'll get into each, we'll get into all of that as we go um, through this. But our goal here in each of uh, each section that we're going to cover is we're going to ask a question, we're going to collect answers, and we're going to organize our answers. And through this process, we'll start to see what our culture should be about. All right. So our first question is a high level one that says, What do we value? Jerry, take us through it. All right. As individuals, what do we value from the group and what do we value from the table that we're playing at? Now, again, Liz, with everything here, the things we're talking about could be part of your social contract as well. But these are going to be high-level concepts. 
For example, we value friendship or safety. We're here to have fun. Some people might be there for dramatic role-playing. Mm -hmm. Some people might be there just to be vulnerable at the table and get some feels. Some people are just to play certain kinds of games or to get immersive into the playing. Some people want non-aversive playing and just get in there and kill monsters for the night. Um, we've gotten together several times to play things that are retro games. And of course, many, many times we get together to play new games or even just a specific system. You know, it's been a long time since we, since any of us have played, you know, Shadowrun. So let's sit down and see if it's as we remembered it. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's voice. It is anyway. Um, <laughs> and as a table culture, we could we could say that, like, this table's about playing Shadowrun. Yeah. Like, that's the purpose of like, that's the like, that could be like one of the most important things is like, this is a Shadowrun uh, group, not or like, a, like or in comparison to, hey, we're a group. We like to play new games because we like to just play things like we want to try everything. I think a great example for people who've been listening to the show for a couple of years was for a while we were doing beer and pretzels night. We played Dungeon Crawl Classics. Mm-hmm. We were getting together to play a game that it was going to be every week was going every story was going to be weird, kind of weird fantasy. And we were going to have characters that uh, weren't going to have strong, detailed backstories. We weren't going to do a lot of like side do any side quests. We were there to play DCC Dungeon Crawl Adventures with these um, wild characters with complicated uh, personalities, but not much backstory. And we got to do that each time. And it's important because as much as we joke about, you know, not having any backstory for our characters, we understood that this we were coming to play a grind adventure that was dungeon crawl. The characters were going to be expendable if necessary. There was a lot of table culture involved. Mm -hmm. And what we were valuing was experiencing that adventure experiencing the weird the weird monsters um experiencing phil's interpretation which is always a lot of fun (laughs) and just but that's all what we were there for and we knew that going in and it was very different than like the forbidden lands game you guys were running at the time um or some of their games that were going on so that's important that that's what people who've listened to the show uh and if you haven't listened to the show go back a couple episodes and listen um that's what we talked about so anyway once you've done all that phil yeah absolutely right so um have everybody just put down their answers, right? Just get out your post-it notes, your index cards, whatever, right? Just start writing them down. What are you here for? What is, you know, what, what do you value? Cool. Once you have everybody's exhausted their list and you have a pile of these notes, sort them into three bins, right? The most important, somewhat important, least important. Um, and if you have like some ties where it was like two people picked fun and you're not sure, um, put it in both. Right. You can put it in both. You can, you know, you can say, okay, well, for some people, it's most important for other people. It's just important, that kind of thing. But what it's going to wind up, um, what you're going to wind up with on the table is you're going to have all these notes in three separate bins. Right. And already we're going to start to learn a couple of things. Right. What we're going to learn is we're going to discover what the group finds important, but also how important that is. Um, And that's that itself is going to drive a lot of what you're looking at mm-hmm. because if everybody finds that say we want to play new games but that's not the most important thing the most important thing is we want to come here and have a fun safe immersive uh session no matter what and that's not important for everybody then we don't mind what games we're playing we want to make sure that we have fun safe immersive role playing in every game we have and that tells a lot about what we're doing yeah it informs you like hey if we're going to play a game 
um, like maybe we won't play certain games because they don't lend themselves to immersion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And all of that tells your GM a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> right there. Yeah, they know really- what kind of what kind of games they need to work on and what kind of games they enjoy, because they should also be part of that whole discussion. What do yes. they want to do? We talk about this for players, but always remember the GM gets to also have some say in this and should talk to the players about what they want to do. Yeah, and and absolutely. If it wasn't clear in, in when we it wasn't clear at the beginning, when everybody's writing notes, the GM is also putting their notes in there too, right? Yep. Like they're also putting in their value, what they value. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So with everybody's value stated, we move on to the next question, which is what do we need? Phil, talk a little bit about needs. Yeah, absolutely. While values are broad and they're like kind of high level goals, needs are going to be like specific things that members of the group might have, right? Um, and some of these are going to like, they, they could be really small things. Like they could be certain activities. They could be logistics. They could be um, environment, like environment related, those kinds of things. And not everyone might have a need, but in this step with this question, we want to give everybody a chance to think about possible needs. Um, so if we look at the example of needs from like GMs and players, right? Because each might have a slightly different need and then there might be some general needs. So Jerry, like what kind of needs might a GM have? All right, the GM's going to need some, might need some candid feedback of the game. What'd you like? Did you like it? Did you didn't like it? What did you like? Not just we enjoyed it, but what was good? Because that tells the GM, maybe we need to do more of this or do things in that manner. Um, it also helps the GM to have someone write a recap each week. Uh, and this does two things. Number one is it takes a little bit of pressure off the GM of having to constantly remind everybody what happened, but also tells the GM what the players know, what they got, what they remembered. Um, and it's a love letter to the GM. If you get notes and, you know, you know, 19 out of 20 of the names the GM dropped are in that recap, that tells the GM, wow, they were paying attention. They were involved in this. They liked it. And also tells the GM, oh, they completely misconstrued the name of this guy. He's not, he's not the Baron of Vecchione. His name is Baron Vecchione. That's kind of important that they know that different, that kind of thing. Um, and lastly, uh, the GM gets some input on what the next adventure could, is going to be. Have the players tell them, this is what we want to do next. This is what we're interested in doing. Um, you know, once we're done smacking down Baron Von Badass, we want to go after you know, um, the giant space egg or whatever. And that tells the GM where they should be going. Right. And that's, and, and again, these are example things because some GMs might have a full plan for their game mm-hmm. and don't actually need input on what the next adventure is. Cause like they're running a campaign arc or they've got an idea, like they've written their own campaign arc or something like that. But right. Like some GMs might be like, look, I don't want to like dictate what you do every session. So you guys got to tell me like, I'm, I'm that GM, right? Like, I very much, you know, we finish sessions and I'm like, cool, what do, what do you guys want to do next? Right. So that I can then go off and work on that. Okay, cool. That was our examples for GMs. Jerry, tell me some examples for players. What, what, what are some possible needs a like players might have? A lot of players want game notes, uh, some basic world and culture details. Um, you know, they want, if the player wants to be immersive, they need to have some feedback from the GM on what they can be immersive about. You know, who are the major deities in this world? Who are the major players? You know, uh, how expensive is a starship? Something like that. Anything that gets in. And this is always good with like a shared doc or a list of NPCs. The gym can just post and the players can pull off what they need. The players also often need role-playing opportunities, 
especially if you have players that build complicated characters, um, you know, the players want to make sure they get to use all the cool stuff they did. If all they're ever doing is fighting undead and undead are immune to poison and that rogue bought a bunch of poisons, they need opportunities to use those poisons later on. Make sure that you get that information and let your GM know that you also give those, op those opportunities. And of course, the players also want engaging opportunity, uh, engaging encounters. Um, they want encounters that are going to be um, interesting to them, whether it's hack and slash or whether it's dramatic romance or messy drama or a heist, whatever. Um, players want those engaging encounters. Um, and of course, the GM can help supply them, but the players also have to let the GM know that they want them. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And then like beyond just like specific needs that a GM might have or specific needs players have, there are like general needs that like anyone at the table might have. Mm -hmm. Some players might have a specific time they need to finish playing because they have to get up early or they have to go pick up their kids or their, something on that line. Um, some players are going to want some mood music or they might be like me and want no additional noise in the room when you're playing so you can hear everything that's going on. Um, some people that are online, they want to say, you know, use the mute button when you're doing online gaming. Um, and different different amounts of table chatter. What's going on at the table? How often? When we get off on segues and what to do if we do? So all mm -hmm. those are general needs that we should be discussing when we first set up our table culture or we first establish that social contract. Yeah, exactly. So same as before, get out your post-it notes, write your needs cool. down, right? Cool. Somebody may need to be done with this game by 11 o'clock. Um, mm -hmm. Like Jerry said, no music at the table. Um, other people, you know, or low. Um, it, it needs, you know, I, I can't be freezing. Like it's hard for me to pay attention if I'm super cold. Like mm -hmm. you guys mm -hmm. remember my basement, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the old days in the meat yeah. locker. Um, anyway, you're going to write all those down, put them out on the table, sort them into three, um, sort them into three groups. Um, which is who needs to do these things, right? Is it like, is, are these needs that the GM needs to provide to the players? Is this stuff that the players need to provide for each other and the GM? Or is this stuff like the group needs to provide as a whole, right? Just separate those out so that we um, have some idea of who needs to do them. And, and the reason we want to do this is like, for instance, if there's a whole pile of stuff um, for the GM and like a post-it note for the player, right? It's, it might be hard for the GM to meet every one of those needs. Um, and we get, we'll talk in a little bit about some ways that we could possibly deal with that, but it'll yeah. give you some idea of like, do we have like, you know, some, like something for everyone to, you know, like needs or like, boy, does this GM, the GM needs to like provide all of this. It'll help. Okay. All right, so we've got values that we aspire to and things that we need. So now we need to take a realistic look at them by asking our last question. What are we capable of doing? Jerry, walk us through this final step. All right. In this step, we're going to start by taking all the values and needs and sorting them into kind of a two-by-two two matrix. Just kind of look at what's most important to what's less important and what's easy to do and what's hard to do. And then, of course, we're going to end up with four quadrants. You know, I love these quadrant things, right? <laughs> so we got most important, easy to do, right? Those are like no brainers. We got most important, hard to do, important, but we're going to have to like, we're going to have to put some effort into it. We got least important, easy to do, and least, and, and or I should say less important, easy to do, less important, hard to do. And I think you kind of know which quadrant that is, right? And of course, there are things that are going to be in the middle or moderate straddle of the line. But it's important to know where things fall, 
because that tells us how much effort needs to be put into it and maybe how many people need to, need to help participate in it. Uh, because if it's important but hard to do, then it might be good for everybody to work on it and then it becomes less hard and moves it more towards the center. So things, this is going to allow us to look at the importance of things in the effort because we all have a limited amount of time each week and we can't do everything, especially as we get older. So this sorting allows us to look at those tasks and determine how to prioritize them because things that are most important are obviously going to take priority <clears throat> over the less important things. And things that are easy to do should just get done. Now, things that are hard to do need to be discussed, and you might need to negotiate them, redefine them, etc. So let's look at a couple examples. Right. So let's look at like recaps, right? Mm -hmm. um, like, so let's say that like we're talking about player recaps, like players are going to provide the recap for each game. And we ranked it as most important, but moderate to do, right? Recaps aren't always the easiest thing to put together between sessions. Um, but there are a bunch of players, so maybe you know, as we negotiate, like, well, how can we, how can we get our player recaps? The players could take turns, right? No one player becomes responsible for it and it can kind of go around the table this way. If one person's busy, another person's like, no, I'll, I'll take it. I'll write the recap for next session. That kind of thing. Right. We can, we can negotiate and like make it work. Um, the next one is an example. And this one is uh, one that we always wrestle with, right. Is focus on the game, moderate importance hard to do now that's how we would rate it um might maybe it's easier for you but whatever it's hard for us um so knowing that right the group can actually talk about ways like how can we as a group um all work together to create the focus that we need for the game so that it's not on one person and i don't know if bob remembers but it's some wilder times in our past like we had a person who like policed the table for it but it's like it was kind of a shitty role um yeah like it didn't work for our group to have like one yeah. person as like you know the table boss trying to you know shut everybody up and another thing to to keep in mind about this is all of these things are fluid you may mm -hmm. sit down for for a game that you're about to run and say this is all the stuff da, 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 da. six months later you may be like you know this is not of moderate importance anymore this one is of like utmost importance or you may be like Hey, this isn't hard to do. We've been like in a swing of just nailing this game where we're on game, no side chatter, and we're in, and we rock like three hours straight, and we're like, wow, that was a great session. We used to have stretches like that. We did. Yep. And most of those were pre-pandemic. <laughs> so I think you can guess what may have pulled our focus a little bit. <laughs> Concentration. Um, but yeah, these things are fluid. So going back and revisiting this stuff now and again to say, hey, is this still moderate or whatever? Go back and look at them every once in a while. Which we're going to talk about that before that. we hit the break. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. okay. So by looking at these quadrants and having these discussions of how to make things happen, you're going to define your culture. And um, it'll be and, – and when you do it enough times, it becomes something that be, that's uh, easy to do. It can often become a lot of fun. Um, setting up your culture for each particular session can be uh, part of just the, the, the fun of getting them with your friends and talking about what's coming up and helping to generate some of the excitement for the upcoming game. Um, that's how I feel about it almost every time we do that. I get excited because we're doing our, our table culture and talking about all the things that are going to be coming up and how we're going to do them. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, table culture shouldn't be um, 
guess it's a really good point to make. Shouldn't be shouldn't be tedious. It yeah, be it, 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 yeah, you're 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 not doing it to um to stifle anything or be boring or anything like that. Mm-hmm. What, what you're really trying to do is maximize the maximize and I, I just the I'm not gonna I don't even want to use the word fun, but maximize your experience at the table, right? Whatever those things that are important and whatever those needs are that kind of help support those things that are important, like doing them like should make everything more fun. If if after you lay this out and you look at it and doing it makes things worse, you're probably not lined up like aligned correctly. Yeah. Um you you should be like there should be excitement. There should be um a good feeling as as you're doing this. Um and then yeah, you're you're doing this as a like as a table, right? Which kind of transcends game, which transcends session and things like that. But I think what Jerry was talking about before as a session thing is engaging in the activities that you're you're talking about, right? Like like having that discussion of what are we gonna do for the next um the next adventure having that discussion is going to uh, hopefully be exciting and not excruciating for the players. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So with things taking shape now, how do we turn this exercise into an actual table culture, Phil? Yeah. So up to this point, what we've done is we brainstormed out, um, we brainstormed out three questions, right? And we, hopefully we just use those techniques that I talked about as a way to kind of focus ourselves on those three questions, right? What do we value? What do we need? And what are we capable of doing, right? Um, now we need to actually like turn that into something, right? And that's where the social contract comes in, right? Social contract is the thing that helps um, establish uh, our table, cult- establish and define our table culture. So um, your group may do this informally. You might do that whole exercise, or you may not even do the exercise. You may just sit around and answer those questions informally. Um, and you could just do that and have like a whole discussion and be like, cool, I think we understand what our culture is and be done with it. You could do that. You can also be more explicit about it, right? You could just open up a Google Doc and write some stuff in it. And you could be really formal about it, right? You could go with the old um, villains and vigilante numbering system, right? Like, you know, section one, section 1.1, 1.1, like that kind of 1.1.1, that kind of thing. Um, or you could just like, just have a page of bullets, right? Like what, whatever works for your group. Um, I say this because I don't know, Bob, if you remember, but many, many years ago, we took a stab at writing a social contract that had like headers and bullets and yep. all of that stuff. And it wound up having some decent stuff in it, but it was like, it was flawed in that it was like more about like keeping people in line and had like little to do about what are we here to enjoy? Yeah. And it was, it was because we had a rash of people canceling at the last minute without giving any heads up. And there was like a bunch of stuff. Like it missed the point of what is the, what is this the good we're trying to do? And it was really just like, what is the punitive? Like it was a token effort that we, that we, slapped together quickly on the moment and didn't revisit later and nah. never really gave deep thought knowing what we nah. know now we obviously would do it a little different yeah so my point for this is like look you your group your group will know how formal or informal you need to be with this i'm going to say that you should write it down because memories are bad and flawed no matter how good memory you have, 
all memories are flawed at some level. So just at the very least, a, a Google Doc with a bunch of bullets in it is a perfectly um, good social contract. Um, okay, I'll get off my I'll get off my soapbox on that. The important part is when we build this Google Doc, because we've gone through this brainstorming process, we have everybody's contributions, right? And then lastly, once we put it together, we then all look at it and agree to it, right? This is the consent part. Like we have talked about, we, we brainstormed what's important. We've talked about what we can and can't do. We come up with what we want our culture to be. We document it. And then we all look at it and say, yeah, that's it. That's, that's it right there. And I agree to do my part of this. That's the, that's the key, the final consent piece. Then what, Chair? Now we put it in practice. Once you have some sort of contract in place and some sort of plan, you need to do what it says. And as we said, part of, part of this is going to be remembering what it says. And this is why you want to have a doc that spells things out for you. But you can also craft rituals and customs so that certain important actions have physical reminders. Phil, give us a couple examples. Yeah, so I, I love rituals, right? Rituals are a great way to help us remember to do things. So we can make a ritual about putting the X card down on the table, right? As a way to remind us about table safety. Again, if safety is one of our, you know, one of our most important things, then having a ritual around safety um, is really important. And so maybe like when we put the card down, we read like the person who's putting it down reads the text on the card and then we put it down on the table. Other groups, um, safety is important, but it's not critical for them. Like our group, um, whom we're very comfortable with and, you know, very capable of having, you know, safety discussions with, we still play with an X card, but we don't actually have a ritual around it. We just, I take out the X card. I put it in the middle of the table, making sure it's visible and accessible to everybody. And then we all know it's there and we all know what to do with it if we need it. But other groups, especially if you were playing like maybe um, high emotional stakes games or whatever, might actually, you know, make a ritual around it so that it draws attention to it. Okay. Second one, this one is one from our group, is the big die, right? <laughs> the big die, which was actually inspired by um, John Wick's Houses of the Blooded with his candles. Um, the big die is a ritual that's um, that we try to use to draw focus to the game and, and quiet our side chatter. Um, it has, it works and doesn't work at various levels. I am equally guilty of of its times mm -hmm. not working um, either. I'm I am as much of a culprit at times as anyone else is at the table. Um, but it's a ritual, and it helps to kind of draw our attention to it. As a matter of fact, we we have a player in our Dice uh, Legends game who has sometimes picked up the die from you and put it on the table in the middle of a conversation to bring us back on track. It's um, a good, which, it's a which good we point love, which we love, yeah. which is a good point because it says without us having, cause we've never done this brainstorming exercise with that Sunday group, but it does say something about what Glenn values Yes, in the mm -hmm. game, yep. right? Oh yeah. It does. It is telling us something about what Glenn values. Okay. Good Joe. Uh -huh. All right. So basically as a group, you need to figure out which things are going to need rituals and which things just need to be remembered. Yeah. And uh, that can vary from, from player to player as well. Some players may want to have rituals and some might remember everything and you can mix both together. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and you might like, so you, you might do something like have a ritual for something that's really important to the group. Um, or you might have something as a ritual that everybody in the group forgets, right? There's two different ways to use it. You can use it mm -hmm. to highlight something that's important to the group and make it like even more visible or, you can use it as a, as a tool to remember something 
like, hey, we all have to be done by 10 o'clock. Maybe our ritual is that somebody sets a, you know, somebody sets an alarm on their phone for 945 so that we know when the alarm goes off, we have to start wrapping the game up, that kind of thing. Okay. Lastly, and this is important. Um, you created a social, con you defined your culture, you created a social contract that supports the, your, your culture. You got to address what to do when you fail to uphold the contract. It is inevitable that there will be lapses in your social contract. It's unavoidable. People will forget things. Somebody will just do something they weren't supposed to, whatever. I I'm not emphasizing punishments here, but you got to have some way to address it. Um, because if you don't work to enforce boundaries you create, then you don't actually have boundaries after some period of time. So if you say like, hey, we all got to be good about table chatter, and then you never do anything to control table chatter, guess what? Yep. You still have table chatter. Yeah. Um, so you got to work on some way. And again, in my younger, more arrogant, harsher version of me, punishment like punitive was like, like where my head was. It's not, that's not the thing that works for me at least. And I don't think it, I actually don't think as a leadership style, it works in general. Anyway, what I think works is when something gets missed um, or when there's a lapse is really to ask the question, um, what's not working here, right? Why are we still having table chatter when we said that table chatter was a problem for us? Like, what have we missed and then have that discussion and then tune things up. Yeah. Cause if you don't have that discussion, right. Um, you may be missing something, something important. Yeah. yeah. I think Jerry's, I think Jerry's got some, yeah. um, some points yeah. on that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times it's just a lapse and it's a reminder is needed. Hence the big die. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it can be that the part of the social contract isn't working. It needs to be redefined. Um, like when we were playing DCC, um, Normally, I don't like a lot of background music when I'm, play, when I'm playing a game because it disrupts the, the chatter of the game. But Phil just kept the music low and kept it so that we could hear it, but it never uh, overwhelmed the conversation. So it worked really well. So that was part of the social contract that we just adapted and redefined. And occasionally, one of the songs on your, on your list will get really loud. And, every, and you, know, you or normally Sean would just scramble to turn it down again. And that yeah. was fine. And it worked. <laughs> and it never upset the game. So even though it was up and down, we just redefined it. And sometimes someone just doesn't want to uphold it and their place in the group needs to be reevaluated. And when that happens, you need to look at what, what's happening and why and what to do about it. Um, yeah. Sometimes you have to ask that player to leave. Sometimes you need to sit down with that player. Um, and I'm going to put something in here that's very important. This is a problem that I've had with, with groups in the past. This is not the responsibility of the GM. This is the responsibility of everybody at the table. Yep. Um, I had I had groups for years that would have problems with something going on and they would always turn to me like, oh, you have to say something to this player. And if I brought it up in group session, nobody was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, listen, if, if, it, if it doesn't bother you guys enough to also stand up and say something, then it shouldn't always yeah. be on the GM. It is, the players need to talk about it and, and it doesn't even always need to be punitive. Sometimes if everybody at the table says something to a problem player, they will change their attitude because they don't want to lose, leave that group. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they won't. Mm -hmm. And then you say, you know what? You're a good person, but not in this group. Go find another group. And that's that. Yeah. So this group, this, you know, this group isn't doing the, it, this group isn't feeding you, right? Like, yep. yep. Uh, um, I had, I had, I had a player that I had to walk out and just say, listen, 
your play style and our play style aren't meshing well together. It doesn't mean you're a bad player. It doesn't mean that we don't want to be your friend. You, you're just not playing here. There are three other tables in this, you know, at this hobby shop. I'd strongly suggest you join one of the other ones. I think it should mesh well better with them. And, you know, just take it as that, you know. Um, yeah. Some players have been like, well, fuck you. And some players have been like, yeah, I've noticed a bit of problem. Maybe, maybe I'd be better at this table over here. And then they were great, you know. So that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Like, there's nothing easy no. about that conversation. No. But, um, but sometimes it's the needed thing. Mm-hmm. And usually, uh, after it happens, everything gets a lot better. The, the, one of the more interesting parts is we had a player that wanted to join our group after we had somebody leave. And they came to join our group, and we didn't even let them join them because we could tell by the talk when they talked about the character they were not going to mesh well. But I brought them over to the other pl- table and said, you know, I think this is what you guys wanted. Yeah, I think you'd mesh well with this group. And the player that had been removed from our group was like, oh, yeah, you love this and had him sit down. And so it could have been a bad session turned out well because uh, they wanted to play a very hack and slash, um, no role playing, very mechanical game, which is great. A lot of players love that. This wasn't the game I was running. So sometimes that can just tell everybody it works really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, cool. Right. So, um, yeah, I was just going to say, right, like we, we could do a whole other conversation yeah. on, that, on that difficult. Um, oh, yeah. A whole other show on that difficult conversation. We're not going to. But I think you get the idea that, like, again, it's either just a, it, it's either just a lapse in memory. Something needs to be fixed or somebody it's not working for somebody. That's the takeaway. Yeah. The um the one the one last thing I'll say on that is that sometimes, like I said, if you don't ask the question, if you don't stop and confront the the scenario, you miss something, right? And there was an instance which I believe was during the forty third week of March twenty twenty, um, where we were sitting I remember the table, it not. <laughs> and we were just a little bit of game side chatter, side chatter, side chatter, side chatter, side chatter, a little bit of game. And then finally we stopped like, are we, are we here? Like what, what is going on? And we realized that all of us, just our headspace, we just wanted to hang out and bullshit and just enjoy each other's company. So we yeah. pushed the game off to the side, said, we'll get back to that later. We'll do that next session. And we just hung out. But if we yeah. hadn't stopped and asked the question, we would have kept going. We would have had like 45 minutes of game time and like two hours of, of, of just chatting and bullshitting. And it would have been a very unsatisfying session. The yeah. evening itself overall might have been okay, but you know, y- there was there was a there was a disconnect there. And once we said, "Hey, what's going on here?" we were all like, "Yeah, you know what?" <laughs> so I'm gonna yeah. just use this as our as our um, as our segue into our next session. But you bring up a good point. Our table culture before the 43rd week the 43rd of march was not like that but because this major event had happened um we weren't like we weren't able to like we weren't able to focus or stay on like like stay with our original culture and really for a period of time and it eventually it eventually reversed itself but for a period of time it was more important that we were together like talking and kind of sharing our anxieties and kind of being there doing emotional labor for each other and Mm -hmm. i mean emotional labor in the good way um than it was to actually play the game and 
later that would reverse itself. But like you said, there are times where we just have to be cognizant of like, we're not like, we're not aligned with what we said. Our culture is, has something changed? And do we need to, uh, we do need to adjust something either permanently or temporarily. Yeah. Which of course then brings us to our table culture over time. Jerry, what do we need to know about that? Well, over time, your trust is going to change either by drift or because of changes in the game, changes in the players. But if nothing changes and you don't periodically review your social contract, then your culture starts to shift, as do many things you remember, rather than as they're written. Yeah, right. This hap- I mean, honestly, this happens in games as well. Um, if you have playing the same game for a long time, right? I'm just going to do this as an example. Um, if you are playing the same game for a long time, you should periodically reread the rules and then discover what parts you're actually not playing correctly. Um, I used when we played um, Iron Heroes for three years, each year I would reread the rules and every year I found a rule we were totally not doing correctly. Like I would read it and be like, what? Like go back and be like, I'd come back to you guys and be like, yeah, we're not doing this part right. And then we would discuss whether we wanted to actually fix it or not. But <laughs> the same thing holds true with your um, social contract. If you if you never look at it again after you write it, how do you know you're doing it? And I'm just going to state for the record, by the way, um, when you said you're not doing it correctly, you're not following all the rules. If you're all having yes. fun, you're still doing it correctly. Uh, Fair enough. Fair I, I, I want to state yeah. that. All Unless right. you value adherence to rules. Right, exactly. which we yeah. did not. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong, we didn't. But potentially, <laughs> potentially, another group could have been very upset yes. about about the slaps. This is true. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, but do this with social contract once a year. Reread it as a group, or at least discuss it and see if it makes sense, or did some things change, or does new things need to be added? Um, and you don't even have to wait till a year. If something is starting to come up that seems a little odd, just go back over your social contract, and take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that changes can occur that are going to affect the social contract. Uh, for example. Yeah, changes in games. Um, you might over time. Um, so the types of games you play um, should have some, they're going to have some effect on your culture, but your culture should also be kind of like above what you play, but not, it's not going to be independent of it. So sometimes what you're, what you're playing is going to impact your table culture. So maybe the rules of the game um, don't line up with your culture, right? Um, and it's worth having a talk to figure out how you're going to adapt to that. Like maybe you somebody brought a PBTA game um, to a group that's like wants to be super immersive and, you know, those kind of story elements of PBTA kind of mess with, you know, are going to mess with the group. Talk about that. Like, hey, we normally value deep immersion. This is a game that doesn't really do it, but we all seem to be interested. Are we cool with that? What else, Jerry? Next thing that happens is changing in players. Players leave, new players join. This is when you have to readdress the social contract. Not just because the group culture is changing, but because you may have new players who don't know what the social contract is or might not even be aware of how social contracts work. Yeah. And, and you need to discuss it with them. Because the party players may have had specific roles in the group. Um, like they might be the person that always took your notes and recaps. And now you need to readdress. Is anybody going to take care of that? And new players need to learn the culture and they may bring ideas that you want to include in your culture. They may come and say, you know what? In the last group I was in, we did X and Y. And you're like, wow, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Or that sounds interesting. Let's try it. Mm-hmm. Or uh, they could have come from a totally toxic group. My last game, oh like, gosh, all yes. my players backstab each other. Oh, cool. Because we don't do that here. Yeah. 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 Are we using alignments? Because I want to be lawful evil. 
or even worse, I want to be chaotic neutral. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm just layers. pure chaos. I just, I'm, I like to just, you know, the Joker, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker. That's my character in every game I play. No. Um, yeah. Okay. Lastly, change in GMs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, similar to a player leaving, uh, if you change up GMs, and that doesn't mean the GM leaves, it could just be that the GM swaps out to now become a like a player and another player moves into the GM seat. Um, you might need to address your table culture and social contract. You might not if you, you know, if you're not adding somebody in, but for instance, if you swap out GMs, maybe a GM has a different safety tool they like. Or maybe they want to do recaps or they don't want to do recaps or whatever. It's time to have that little discussion. Just uh, tune up. We, we've had games when I was playing in, and you guys have heard me talk about playing in, you know, 11 Pathfinder games all at the same time. Um, one of the things that happened was I was playing in games that I'd run. And so I had a, I had a specific set of culture that I had to talk to the players <laughs> about. Like, there are going to be times that I'm just going to, that I'm not, ignoring the game, but I'm not going to be putting any choice inputs in because I don't want to influence where the party is going because I know what the correct choice is going to be here. And I explain it to the GM and explain it to, and I mean, the GM also asked me, but, and at the same time, sometimes the GM will also say, there are going to be times that I'm going to ask you specifically, what do you want to do? Because I need the players to go in a certain direction. I know that you'll tell them where to go this one time. And having that as a, as a, as a culture and understand what's going on, made a difference in how we reacted the gm didn't see me as ignoring things they knew that the play the other three or four players were gonna were trying to make a choice of you know do we go left or right and i knew that going left was going to get us killed but i'm not going to say anything about it because i don't want to i don't want to meta metagame that part of it or sometimes the gm's like jerry which direction do you want to go down basically implying like yeah they're not ready to go down the left passageway tell them to go on the right you know Right. That happens in a lot of games where that happens. Players might know a little bit and tell the GM right off the bat. Part of this culture is there are going to be times that I'm not going to influence the group. And that's great because that makes that, that, that lets everybody feel comfortable with that situation. Um, and it, it works. It's, it, it works a lot. Um, but basically the takeaway is going to be to recognize that doing this exercise once to figure out your culture makes, makes a social contract doesn't mean you're done. The culture and contract are always living and they're growing. You need to recognize when a change is taking place. And when that change happens, embrace it. When things are quiet, just make sure you're not drifting. Remind mm-hmm. yourself what's going on. Um, because the game will be better if you all stick to the things that, you're all, that you all agree on. There'll be less ambigu- ambiguity and more feedback and make for a better play game space. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's our look at table cultures. We're going to take a break. And before we do, um, which is part of our social contract for this uh, for this show, Bob's going to tell us about another show on the misdirected, misdirected Mark Network. Yeah. So we've got a show on a network called The Gnomecast, where several gnomes from Gnome Stew get together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and to avoid being thrown in the stew. Every once in a while, they'll have a special guest. And then once every, like, 50 years while there's a blood moon, I'll get on there and I'll join the show. <laughs> you haven't been on in a while, have you? I haven't been on in quite the. Oh, it's in time fact, to it's time to in, poke and to put Bob back on the show. Was it like two hundred and two hundred and some odd episodes, and I've been in one, I think. So, oh, that's no good. That's no good. <laughs> Maybe you should two, be on I another episode. Yeah, I got to try yep. to work my way into one. But that is the Gnomecast, and it's entertaining and fun. So you should check it out. All right, chat room. Yeah, we had. Uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
a very enraptured crew tonight that has been uh, waiting on with bated breath on everything we have to say. So there's not, not too a lot chatty, of, huh? Uh, related chatter. <laughs> I did see a comment from Blake talking about um, it's been in a few groups who disbanded rather than the GM dealing with problem players. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Like, yep. um, that happens all the time. Um, that is a stealth move where you disband the group. And then like a week or two later, the group minus the troubled person reband, <laughs> like reform. Um, some of them just disband and just never get back together. They do. Some just disappear, but Which I have seen groups that will just like disband like, Oh, Hey, we're going to like, you know, Hey, we can't play this game anymore. Thanks for playing with a, you know, like, thanks for everybody for playing blah, blah, blah. And then like two weeks later, you find out that like four out of those five people have a game group going <laughs> like it happens. Really? Um, in fact, Bob, I'm pretty us. sure, I'm pretty sure we did it in our Eberron game in the early two thousands. I'm pretty sure we pulled that maneuver to remove, um, a player that I... we had introduced and then was a bad fit. I thought we had the GM saying no. It's not working. It's not it's not you, it's us. Goodbye. Oh, maybe I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I know who the GM was. They probably would have done it. I, I had yeah, that was one of those cases like, where nobody really wanted to do it. Nobody wanted to be responsible for doing it. And for a little but, context, it was a coworker of mine. Yes. So I, I would have been a logical choice if we had to pin it on somebody. I was one of those people who very, very poorly decided that it's the GM's job because the GM is running the game, which, of course, is wrong. Well, we also broke so, another rule. Actually, we created a rule because of this, which was we never let a new player jump into an existing campaign. We always try them out on a, a um, one shot. Thing. Yep. Run a one yeah. shot, test the player out, see how they are. And then if they're a fit, then be like, all right, now you can join our campaign. Yeah. That was because that because we let that person join in. They weren't a good fit. It wasn't that they were like bad. They just didn't align with how we like to play yeah, games. Play styles were different. And... Yeah. And so then we were stuck because we were in the middle of a good campaign. And we're like, oh, we got to get this person out because it's kind of <laughs> killing our fun. And they're definitely yeah. not like they're definitely not gaming the way we're game. Yeah. So we had to like park. And luckily we managed it. We parted company with them managed to keep the rest of the group intact and actually resume that campaign for a while. Yep. I, I had to do it because for a while with my GMing group, um, I was the ride for all my players. I used to drive to Syracuse, pick them all up and take them to the hobby shop. And so we just moved the game to my house in Auburn. And one of the players had no way to get 20 miles to my house. He just couldn't show up. And that was how we guys got rid of it. Like <laughs> geographically <laughs> cut him off. Schmidt uh, brought up the yeah. Schmidt brought up the tip to intentionally pick a game day where the problem person can't meet. Yep. Um, that's also a good one. I, I'm not condoning these. No, um, those are all I, I shouldn't say condoning them. <laughs> I think that having an adult conversation is the better way to do it. Yep. But also sometimes those conversations are hard and sometimes people aren't good at having them. So yes, Sometimes these tactics get employed. Yeah. Um, if you, if I you think, can't manage the actual conversation and you need to fall back on something, there are this is these are it. these are ways to do it. It doesn't actually solve problems, but sometimes you just got to get somebody out of your group so that your group doesn't implode. Um, again, it's um, there. Having those harder conversations are tough. But listen, when I was like in my twenties, like I didn't like to make people upset with me. I mean, I'm in my fifties. I don't like making people. I don't like people yeah. being upset with me. Um, so those were harder. Um, yeah, but I also game with better adults now 
and yeah, this is led. They turn out to be less of a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like half a lot. When I'm talking, all the things that I've talked about, I'm always talking about dealing with players that were all in their uh, late teens to early to mid twenties. So you know they were they were under twenty eight, so they weren't quite adults yet, and so there were a lot of of irrational emotions going on and so on that I don't sure. see as much of the people that I play with now. Most of my examples, them. most of my examples, except for the big die, which is actually a current is, is in our current group. A lot of the other stuff we've talked about are like 15 years ago um, was like the last tectonic shift of, of, um, of my game group. Um, yeah. And you know, it is what it is like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the um, look, sometimes the disband that sometimes the shadow disbanding of the group, is the way you got to go. Um, and again, you know, some people just, you know, based on people's backgrounds, trauma in their lives and stuff like that, straight up confrontation is just not a thing that some people can do. So yeah. sometimes you just employ one of these tactics and get the job done. So, all right, well, let's pop back in for the second part of this returning to the topic of table culture by going to our round table. And we're going to start with this question, Phil. Yeah. Question number one, what is a must-have value for you in any group that you're playing in? For me, it's going to be basically fun. If we're not having fun, we need to address why. And sometimes address what's fun for everybody. That makes a difference because that's what we want to keep going. Um, you got to remind the GM that they did really well so they don't second-guess it. I've been in lots of games where the GM has said out loud, oh, I don't think that went very well. And everybody else had a blast. But the GM didn't know because nobody said anything before they asked. You know? Um People were having a blast, but it didn't show the way because the way they were playing. Um, we've been in that where a couple weeks ago we were playing D&D. And we were in a very f- a fight that was frustrating for the characters, but not for the players. But playing in character meant that we all seemed like we were having a really rough time of it. And the GM's like, wow, that looked... No, we had a blast with that. It was a lot of fun. It made us think ourselves, but it didn't look that way on, on, at the table because we were playing yeah. in character and the dice weren't always working well and that kind of stuff. But it's important to have that value that everybody's having fun and, and, and to talk about that. Because if a player is not having fun, find out why. It might be this isn't the game for them. It might be that they designed their character to do a certain thing and they're just never getting to do that. Um, it might be something else. It might be because they don't, uh, they don't seem to be able to be heard as much. When I was a GM, it took a while to figure out that I had two players that just never were getting a chance to say or, t- or do much because they were both very passive players, very quiet voices. And we had one player at the table who was um, talking a lot and often over- talked over them. And so what I did is I just made sure those two players always sat right in front of me on either side of me so that I could turn to them and ask them questions. And when they spoke, they weren't having to talk down the table to me. They were talking directly to, and they could address the table as well. Um, it also meant that I could occasionally just say, Hey, so-and-so was talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody still had fun, but that made them much more involved in the game and they didn't feel as ignored and they had more fun. Um, and it was a table culture thing. We had to say, you know, when we, no matter what game we're playing, so-and-so sits here and -and so-and-so sits here. The rest of you guys can sit where you want because I want to be able to hear them. And, uh, it goes from there. So that, that's basically it. I think that, that at the end of the day, we need to be having fun. And, um, and if you're not talk to the players near the GM about why that's my thing, Bob. Yeah, I gotta agree with Jerry on this one. Fun is the is the the number one for me. Um, it doesn't matter what we're doing, doesn't matter what we're playing, it doesn't matter as much um, 
how focused we are on the game. Um, when we sit down at the table on game night, if we had fun that night when we all leave to go home, I'm a happy guy, right? And if everybody else seems to be having fun, there we go. That, to me, um, it, it can vary the, the cause of the fun, the source of the fun, but the fun is, is paramount for me. So I think this is interesting. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to pose this follow-up question to both of you. Um, I, I don't know if it's a follow-up question, but we'll get, I think, I think I'll get to an actual question. So I think that's fine, right? Valuing fun. I mean, makes sense to me, right? Like, why would you do this if it wasn't, if it wasn't fun, but fun is a very subjective word. Right. Mm -hmm. And so fun could be um, having a deep emotional um, game or fun could be, um, you know, bouncing like Mario Brothers through bad guys, you know, um, punching things and whatever. And I don't think it needs a definition, but I think that maybe this is where I'm going with this. If fun winds up being one of your key um, things that you value, you have to have a secondary discussion about what is fun because there was a shift in our group in the last year or so. Oh, it definitely was last year because it was COVID. It was post COVID uh, pre and post COVID um, where we went from playing games that were a little heavier to wanting to play games that were um, about good things. Yep. Like that's how we wound up playing ox because we didn't want to like, we wanted to have fun, but our definition of fun in that moment was like, we want to feel good. Like we're doing good things in the game. It's why my copy of cartel has to sit out for a while and I'm not upset about it. Right. It just, I need like cartels, not a game that everybody's ready to have fun with. Um, so cartel has to sit. Um, and that's how we like, you know, I was, I think I jokingly, I think Ox started because I jokingly said something about like, I want to play this game where we're like, we're just space geniuses going around solving problems. And you guys were like, I would totally play this game. Yeah, that's exactly how it started. Right. And I was like, well, shit. All right. Well, let's do something. How do we make that happen, Phil? Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think fun. So fun is a good value, but I think it is immediately followed up by um, the question what is fun for this group at this time and yeah. acknowledge, and this goes back to our thing right before the break, it definitely can shift. Yep. Um, I have seen in the last three years, a distinct shift in the types of games that I want to play three years ago. I wanted to play heavy, emotional, cathartic kind of games, like sad feelings and um, heavy stories, right? Right red carnations on a black grave kind of you know like oof. Mm-hmm. i liked walking out of games like you know with a big sigh like i just like poured my heart out three years later i'm like i want to solve i want to solve disasters with genius super science like and bounce around the galaxy like mm-hmm. and it's okay right like it, it's yeah. totally fine but it is fun is a very subjective thing so again i think my takeaway on this is um have that secondary conversation that is what absolutely is a fair a fair uh rider to that particular value and there, yeah, have been like, time, and there have been times that fun is simply meant we get together we gamed for an hour and then we sat and chatted and reminisced and discussed stuff because that's what was fun that week for everybody 
We were just, we, we didn't have the mental capacity to keep on with the game, but we also wanted to still stay and talk. And we were still talking game stuff. We just weren't talking, we just weren't playing the game, but we all agreed. You know what? Do you just want to sit and talk about some stuff tonight? And we're like, yes, let's do that. And we had a ball. Doesn't happen every week, but it works that way sometimes. So yep. I will say, because this now gets to my answer, which is different from your guys' answers. Yes. Um, for me, a must-have value, and that's not in exclusion of fun, because obviously I also want to have yeah. fun, but playing the game. Um, when it's game night, I want to play the game. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to get in. I want to... I want to move some story. I want to play mm-hmm. the game. I want to get into characters and stuff like that. And um, so for me, it is okay from time to time that like we only play for an hour and then we back off. I'm not, I'm never going to force the group into um, playing through when somebody isn't there, or I'll acknowledge when I don't have it to, to, you know, to run. Um, but on game night, man, I want to play like, that's what I'm here for. Often, um, game night for me is the carrot that pull, that um, I use to pull the you know the rest of like to pull the wagon the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so fair. I am very much like, and I like to play game like I like to play role playing games. So um, for me, playing the role playing game on that night is a big deal for me. Um, so yes, like while from time to time we take breaks from it, if that was a every like if that was an occurrence in every one of our games, I would definitely have a problem with it. Now. That said, during COVID, I backed off on that. Um, during COVID, it, my priorities had shifted. Being connected to you guys, especially because when we were pre-vaccinated and we were all isolated, right? Like all just in separate, like, you know, in separate houses, isolated from each other. Um, it was more important for me to be connected to you guys than it was to play the game. The game was a nice excuse for that. But having come out of... Um, having been vaccinated and come out and started playing face to face again. Like I am about the game. Like that's what I want to do anyway. Well, it's also so, why totally we, get, it's also why we often get together an hour or two early to eat dinner and yes, chat and get all that out of the way and have that. So that, that that's part of our social contract. Yes, is that gonna, is exactly, exactly mm-hmm. part of our social contract is that we value mm-hmm. socialization and we do it by placing it as an activity before the role-playing game. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Cool. What's our second question? All right. In games you're in now or games you played in the past, what are some of the rituals or customs that you've had? What are they and what are they for? Bob? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that, we, uh, that we've been doing for quite a while is having explicit breaks built into the night. Like or we're going to, you know, like we're going to take a break in like about 10, 15 minutes and everybody is in the habit now, uh, unless it's one of those nights where things are just kind of super loose for whatever reason, which we have. But everybody's in the, in in the good habit of, oh, I thought of something that I want, you know, here's a funny story, or I ha- thought about this video that I watch. Everybody writes it down, and we wait for that explicit break when everybody gets up, to take a leak, and and stretch their legs and everything, and then we all go around and you're like, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? We do a little thing during the break. And then usually, boom, we tap the big die again, <laughs> and we're back in. Um, and I think that having an explicit break here and there um, is very useful, um, especially if you know things are going to be a little loose. It's easier to take that thing that's at the tip of your tongue and be like, instead of disrupting the game, you just you put that aside, 
because you know that there's a gap there where you're going to get that in and you're not going to forget it. It's like, oh, I really wanted to tell you guys about X. And if I don't tell you now, I'm never going to do it. I'm going to forget about it. And then I'm going to be disappointed later when I'm like, oh, I never told them. It's like we have that break built in so we can do those kind of things. Yeah. And, and, and there's a psychological thing about that too, right? So there's a thing about your brain, right? Your brain is terrible actually at remembering things. Mm-hmm. So when a thing jumps into your brain, like, oh, I got this really funny YouTube video I need to tell everyone, your brain immediately becomes concerned that it's going to forget it again. So what does it do? It just starts tasking a whole bunch of resources to hold on to that thought. And then guess what you're not doing, right? Then you like you stop paying attention to stuff. Yep. So, And this comes from uh, um, getting things done. The minute you have one of those thoughts, if you write it down and your brain is like, oh, cool, look, you put it in a place I trust, then your brain's like, cool, I'm going to let go of that. Yep. So that's why we encourage everyone, like take an index card. If you need to write something down, like if you need to tell us something, write it down. Gamer psychology 101. Get it out of your brain, get it onto the card so that you will release your brain back into the game. Yeah. All right. So for me, we've talked about it over and over, right? The big die. Um, The big die, which is for focus on the table. And it is absolutely a thing we struggle with. Um, I struggle with it. Um, I am so my biggest my biggest crime in the group is that I can't avoid a bad joke in the middle of a game. And I do it to Bob all the time where something will come up like a song lyric and I'll just say it in the middle of the game. And my intention is actually not to deal with it any further. Like I just want to say it and then get like a nod or like a groan and then keep going. But sometimes when I do it, it like breaks the focus and then it floods, like the table floods. And so I'm like really bad about it because I like, I'll die sometimes if I don't make the joke. Like, and I've done it to you a bunch of times where you will be in the middle of somebody, a character will say something and it'll just be like a, you know, like, where did he come from? And I'll be like, yeah, where did he go? Oh. I knew, I, knew, I knew exactly where you were going with that. And that's when Bob and points it, at the die and says, fuck you. Right? And it's just because I because I personally know Bob cannot stand the song Cotton Eye Joe. So anytime that line comes across the table, I like I cannot like I, it physically hurts me not to just make the joke. But it also um, sometimes breaks our focus and sets everything off. So. Um, the big die is a, it's a thing our table struggles with. I struggle with, but then the question really becomes, and this will actually tap into question number three. Is it actually a big deal? Like, I, I'm not sure, right? Like, is it a big deal because I think it's a big deal or is it a big deal because we think it's a big deal? There's a place for that discussion of how important is focus, um, for us. Like, and there's probably yep. a middle ground on that because it has to go somewhere between having fun and playing the game. Yeah. Right. If we had no focus whatsoever and just was solely like pinned the needle to fun, maybe then we don't play the game and that would not be um, like, yeah. I would be missing out on, on something from the game. But if there's like a middle ground of like, well, yes, we need to keep the story moving, but yes, if we break down to the side chatter or something, as long as somebody rounds us back up, it's fine. Yeah, maybe it's just fine. And again, pre-COVID, we were a lot tighter when the die hit the table. Yeah. There is some things, right? Like, 
there are some things post, and I don't want to say post COVID, but I feel like pre, I guess, you know, the, the better delineation is, is pre vaccine because post vaccine world allowed us to get back together pre vaccine world. I was pretty terrified that I could be taken out at any moment by that stupid virus. Um, not that I'm not worried about it still, but it's a different worry. Yeah. I think it also depends on the group because the big guy is important in both groups. But I think it's I think it it has a stronger onus in the NBA game than it does in the Ox game because I think more of the players are more focused on the story. And I think I also think that NBA as a game requires a bit more focus and a bit more um, seriousness and. Mm-hmm less less table chatter because number one we have more players number two we have more um we have more players and so everybody needs their their spotlight so we need to stay focused for that and not that we don't do that but just it's, it's important for that mm-hmm. number two some of the players are more serious than others which is also good it's a great game for serious players um the storyline is more serious the storyline has a lot more mysteries and detail um it's the kind of game where if there's too much chatter going on you can miss important details yeah. Um, whereas Ox is the kind of game where we're just three geniuses making shit up as we go, um, and uh, while there are while there are lots of details, we also have two different um, tracking systems. In NBA, we have the mural board, which is a bunch <clears throat> of basically post-it notes with details and notes on them, and on top of that, we have Glenn taking really good notes. Yeah. Um, for Ox, we just have the scrolling uh, page that we have open on a laptop. So as stuff comes up, we're typing things into it as we go. And so it's a lot easier to get back on focus with that because we have that. We're not trying to solve six mysteries at once. Yeah. We're generally, we generally have like right now, we are trying to stop a fire cane and perform a moving, a, a mobile marriage. And that's it. Yes. We're not trying to, we're not also trying to figure out all these other things going on. So that makes a difference. And I don't think that the big die is a bad thing in either case. No, I no. think that I think that if it doesn't come out as much in Ox, it's because there's only four of us playing. And when things go awry, we've all kind of bought into the, you know, two minutes of everybody making fun of Bob and singing choruses from Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> Whereas that would not be appropriate for the tone of Nights Back Agents. Yeah, and I think and this so this goes back to um, before the break of where does the game influence your social contract? And, and you're 100% correct, right? Knights Black Agents is a game where you actually do need to pay more attention um, because it's just a barrage of clues and people trying to like synthesize connections between them and, and things like that. And so um, you're right. It may be that, that for that game, we just have to be a little bit more on the big die Whereas for the Ox game, maybe it's just not as big of a deal because it's one easy to kind of rein everybody back in and put it back on task. Whereas like there's a lot of information management that's happening um, with with NBA. So, yeah, context of game is like definitely a case here where um, you can kind of calibrate how much attention should we pay? Like how much focus do we need based on what we're playing? Um, that's a good point. And another good reason to review your table culture and social contract when you start a new game to see if something like that might apply. Exactly. All right. right. Uh, For me, uh, I talked about this a second ago. For me, the the important ritual for me is the written recap. Um, This actually started 
um, with a different game that I was playing. I'm not sure which one Chris was running, where he started this uh, Google Doc um, that we were all in, and he opened it up to everybody, and he put a couple notes in there and asked us to keep keep going at it. And we started bringing tablets to the table so that while we're in the game, we can keep adding notes in there. And it does a couple things for us. Number one is it takes a lot of the pressure off the GM to keep notes because they can tell they can just tell us what's going on um, or do like Phil did last week in Aux, where he just said, you find all this information. He read it to us. They just cut and paste it and put it right in the doc, live doc. So we could look it up and read it. Well, so we heard it, but then we could refer back to it because he already had his notes that he could just cut and paste the information we found from Bob's evil brother um, <laughs> and put him in the game. Oh no. That makes a big difference. Um, but it also means that between games, the GM can look at it. So when I was uh, running some of the games that I was doing and we had a written recap, I could go back into it and just read through it real quick, make, either make a spelling change, oh, you know, that character's not this or this. Look at a couple of things where the players, maybe they were in a conversation and they thought that, you know, um, the Baroness de Winter was the one that, that said this, but it turned out that, no, no, they got that completely wrong. This character said it. And it's important that they know that this character said it and put that into play as well. Um, and it also allows players to put in all the things that they have, because the other thing it's going to tell you as a GM, when you read those recaps that your players write, what was important for them to keep track of? What were the things they were interested in? You read through those things the players do. And um, why is your car in the front yard? I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> Uh, so no, we to go to the okay. point of lack of focus. <laughs> oh God, there we go. All right, anyway. To go to the point of lack of focus, I'm answering a question in the chat room um, about yes. about the big die, and I said I am um, at I am at times my own worst enemy. And then, in true Phil fashion, I couldn't resist. I then put the next line every now and then. I kick the shit out of me, which is the song "My Own Worst Enemy," right? And then Bob jumped in to add another line, and then it broke Jerry's focus. This yes. is the you just literally experience what works. happens at the table. Yes, yes. But, is... And at the end of the day, this is why it's important to have all these details because it still worked and played. Um, at the end of the day, I like the written recap. I think it helps a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and if the players do it, it also tells the GM what's important to them because it'll tell the players what they know, what they don't know. It also tells the GM, oops. What shit was I supposed to tell the players that somehow we got sidetracked and they didn't get? Yeah, know? what did not get? What did not yeah. make it across yeah. the table? Yeah. Yep. Oh crap! Did I forget to tell the players this? You know that kind yeah. of thing. We've I had that happen. I used to, in terms of um, recaps, I used to, I, I have been on both sides of this fence where I've been like, okay, I'm going to make the players write the recap so I can figure out what they've been missing, and then I got to a point one day where I was like, never mind, I'm going to write the recap so that I make sure that they know what they should know. I have, I have argued both sides of this. I do not <laughs> yeah. think one is more right than the other one, but I had different times in my GMing uh, tenure, I have been on both sides of that recap thing. Well, it got fun when I was running my Eberron game. Um, uh, one of the players would go in and make little comments in character to the various recaps, and then they would read it at the beginning of every session in an old-timey radio announcer voice and, sure. add, and also add in... Uh, seg comments and segues and everything. Um, and uh, the last reason I like the written recap is, especially in these days, this, this day of, of pandemic, um, where, let's say you're playing every other week and then you miss two sessions and now it's been six weeks since you played. Yeah. Having everybody just quickly be able to go back to a written recap. 
okay, it, it makes it much easier to get back into the game that much more quickly. Oh, because you can because you can just go, okay, this is where we were. Any yeah. questions? Great. Let's jump right in. We Glad could to totally do a episode on recaps as well. Bob. 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 Yeah, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> we could totally do an ep- we could do an episode on te- different uh, different um recap techniques. Uh yep. I have done them a couple different ways. Jerry's talking about one way. Um, I think we have a couple different styles we could talk about. We could talk about what should go in a recap. Um, there's um, player-centric recaps versus group recaps versus like third-person meta recaps. Like, yep. Oh boy. I yeah, sense... One more thing in the recap that we should talk about that we just Bob put up in. One of the things I've seen players use the recap for is ways to sneak their detailed character backstory into the into the game without having a soapbox. <laughs> And it's not a bad thing. It's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's another, you get the players that like to write shit, let them go with it. <laughs> yep. Uh, the thing I right. love about player written recaps is yeah. the unreliable narrator factor. Yes. Right. So like, oh, this, this particular character totally sees things from their skewed perspective. And mm-hmm. this is what they remember. And it's like, no, 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 no. You keep getting it wrong. It's not this guy. It's the other guy. And it's the like, it, it it adds another element of of character interaction where you can sit there and you can berate that other character for like you know like you you keep getting that wrong. Why are you and stuff like that? I'm gonna I'm gonna give us the hand signal to pick up the pace. We are oh, um are we uh, yeah. dragging? No, we're I'm we're a little slower than we normally are in an evening. So let's let's push through our question three and then we'll um and we'll go. wrap this segment up. <clears throat> yep. Question number three: We all play in a few groups together, the three of us. We have never codified a culture for our table based on what we've been talking about tonight. What are your feelings on that? Yeah. So <laughs> I have like a bad tape thing, right? Psychologically, I have a bad tape thing about this. Um, What's a bad tape thing? So bad tape being this is like a term I got from um, um, Loving and DS um, and Kayla, Kayla Lords. Um, bad tape is like a um, past habit, past memory uh, thing that you like kind of influences how you do things today right so you know like maybe you know um maybe you apologize too much that's a bad tape from a previous relationship kind of thing so i actually have a bad tape um about mixing my quote pro work as like for jamming advice with home games um many years ago we had a player who very much um did not like um did not like slash did not support the like pro work that I did, like jamming advice, books, things like that. Um, and did not want the game to be any kind of test bed for any ideas, theories, play tests, anything like that. So um, I got into a habit of um, writing a lot of advice about jamming and only doing some of it. Um, and not hypocritically, like I would love to do some of the, you know, some of the things, but I have this bad tape that people don't really want to like, people don't really want to nerd out that much about this. Like people don't want to go through a whole brainstorming exercise to come up with a table culture and, uh, um, and, uh, you know, social contract and stuff like that, where like, I personally would love that. Um, because I actually do want to like kind of, uh, and the reason I grabbed this topic for this week was like, I would love to squeeze a little bit more, um, out of our games right in a good way not in a bad way but like Mm -hmm. i would like to just take what we do in games and just 
take it up like one more, like for lack of a better term, one more notch in terms of if we just focused our um, efforts on the things that we really find enjoyable, you know, and embraced some of the things like um, putting into our social contract, the written recap, which I think is a great idea and working out, you know, our deal with focus, right. Um, to make sure that we all are on the same page about where we want our focus to be and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have always been afraid to do it because I've always been afraid people will just be like, Oh, like Phil, don't bring your work. Like <laughs> don't bring your work into our, into our fun um, do it. kind of thing. Do so, it. Do it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think like I would like, I would like to do this. Like the short answer is like, I would like to pick a night and sit down and say like, let's talk about table culture. What do we want? And what do we, what do you know, like what kind of, what are we into? And let's go do that, but like do it even better. Yeah. I'm that kind of nerd, right? Like I'm definitely that kind of nerd. Anyway, I'll keep my answer short so we can keep moving. Uh, Jer. Right. Uh, as you said, we don't have any of our codes written down. But we have some spoken rules and we have some acknowledged rules. Things like the big die, the X card and safety tools, recaps, um, doing afterplay comments. All that stuff is part of what we do now. Um, you know, we, we reiterate safety tools over and over again in our games. Um, I don't think you've run a single game session yet where you haven't like gotten to something and stopped for a second and just said, you know, is everybody cool with this? Um, because it's important. And to make sure that everybody's having a good time and that I think that that's all there. Um, we just haven't necessarily acknowledged all of it. But uh, the big die isn't written down. But you talk about it at the beginning of every uh, of every new game. Sure do. And and it's important. And it's there. The X card is on the table. And you start every uh, new campaign with the X card. And if we haven't played in a while, even though we all know where it is, you always make a point of make, at least saying, you know, and the X card is on the table in case anybody has any safety issues. And if we're coming up on something like Knights Black Ages, we're about to get into something that's going to be kind of hard and heavy and kind of emotional. You'll remind everybody the X cards on the table, or you'll actually look at a player and say, you know, we're about to do X. Are you are you comfortable with that? And that goes through. And the players will do the same thing. Hey, I, I want to try X. Is that okay with the table if we do if we go there? And again, that's perfectly good for the players to ask too, to ask of the other players. You know, hey, I want to do this thing that could be on the edge of where our safety is. Is everybody comfortable with it? And somebody might say, you know, yes, that's okay, but I just want to hand wave this part of it. We're like, great, we'll do that. That's part of our culture. And it's important that we keep we keep re-acknowledging that. We might not sit down and reread our safety culture, but I love the fact that, you know, every couple of weeks we say, you know, hey, we've got next card. Hey, we got the big die. You know, hey, you know what? Let's just talk about, let's remind, you know, hey, that was a really good game, Phil. Let's, or I really, you know, not just that, I really liked this, or I'm really liking how this game does this or that, you know, which is also telling you, hey, you're doing a good job of doing this. That's our code. Bob? Yeah, I uh, I, I completely agree with all that. It, it, I think it would be very beneficial for the, for the tables that we play at to sit down and actually codify a lot of the stuff that we've been doing kind of automatically um, without really thinking about it too deeply. Because like Phil said, if we put a little bit more focus on <clears throat> on our table culture, we could probably take our game up a level because we would have more of uh, a knowledge of, of all of those bits and pieces and how they work together and be like, yeah, we really do, we really do um, 
need this or we all kind of want this. And if we're all super cognizant about it, like we would probably put that effort in there to get that a lot more than mm-hmm. what we're doing now. Um, do we get by just fine with with the automatic stuff that we do? Sure. You know, but again, um, things change and we've gone through a couple of iterations of, of the way our tables are. Uh, our culture has changed since I've been sitting there uh, with Phil for <laughs> like damn near 30 years. <laughs> Uh, 2024, we've had right? Changes. 2024, 25, something like that. But yeah. uh yeah, it's it's changed. And recently mm-hmm. it's changed. So, you know, sitting down and actually having an actual discussion where we then sit down and and we we put it on paper or put it in an electronic document more likely, put it up on the internet where we can all get at it and then go back and look at it again. Uh I think yeah. that would be a huge boon for for uh, both of the tables that I'm playing at right now with you. Anyway, so, yeah, I think we should do it. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's do it. All right. Okay. All right. So that was our look at table culture. Yeah, we hope that uh, as you define or redefine your table culture, this advice will be of some help. There you go. We're going to bounce into the chat room one more time, see what's going on before we hit the conversation corner. Um, Blake Ryan uh, said stars and wishes good to guide what games you dig and don't, but also helps those of us with self doubt. And that's mm-hmm. an excellent point. Um, if someone's yep. not a hundred percent sure of themselves or, or what they're, what they want, how they're feeling, having that conversation can help draw that stuff out and help clarify that for other people. Yeah. And, yeah. and stars and wishes is great for players and for GMs, right? So it's great to get like, you know, for people to tell the GM like, Hey, you know, you did this great. You did this that great or whatever. Um, or, Hey, this is what could be better or whatever, but it's also great for players for another player or the GM to be like, you know, Hey, you know, Jerry, like you were dialed in in your character tonight. Like I was really feeling your character, right? Like, like that's a great and empowering comment to a player. Like Bob, your, you know, your selection of your selection of rules in that moment or how you built your die pool out to get that, like the success that we needed at the, like you guys needed at the end was awesome. Like great creativity to pull those items in. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So absolutely. It's great. It is a great tool. It's a tool we don't even use, right? Like it's funny because we all just sat here and we're like, Oh yeah, yeah. Totally great tool. It's also like not a thing we've actually ever worked into our games. And yeah, maybe that would be a thing people would really like in our games is if we, had you know in the last 10 minutes of the game did that for each other now that i'm thinking about it (laughs) (laughs) see there you go yeah Yeah. i yes so going back yes we need to do this exercise like we need to really anyway i'll 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 not drag that on yeah (laughs) always go back and think about these things in review you could always make your game better yeah and sometimes it's small things so all right i'm gonna bounce this into the conversation corner all right i am for the sake uh yeah i was just gonna say for the sake of timing i'm gonna ask us i'm gonna ask the three of us to uh keep it tight yep Yep. um just one do your one thing and then literally just list off your everything else's right yep Yep. okay perfect rock on bob yeah so jerry mentioned it earlier um some valheiming uh it's been a while since i actually sat down and and played valheim for more than just like a couple minutes for for this and that and the other thing but yeah um couple of sessions of of good like a couple of hours of play and uh, i've forgotten how much i enjoy like building shit 
and how much it's 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 therapeutic and and that and the other like good times looking forward to jumping on again and getting in some more um besides that we had our ox game um i started watching the halo tv show um keeping up with picard and i'm in the final season of schitt's creek and uh good stuff all around jerry uh we've been playing dnd 5e the archmage's legacy it has been a lot of fun it's a 5e game um and we've it's been a, a good story-based game with a lot of interesting um additional rules and a lot of good role-playing um our party is as she tends to be commonplace a little slapdash in our in our tactics and uh <laughs> and, and and methods but we get things done um and uh it's been a lot of fun i've been really enjoying dnd 5e it's a homebrew campaign homebrew world lots of homebrew rules and lots of ways to customize your character in ways that are uh fun and balanced without without overpowering the group which gives a lot of time to do stuff um everything else i'm still catching up on coupling i built a couple of really big lego sets um caught a tv show called miraculous that was surprisingly fun Picard started the Musketeers, the BBC version, uh, caught the movie Mega Mind, did a movie night with Bob, uh, watched the the Batman movie, the the new one, and of course we played Ox and Valheim, and I'm two thirds away done with Justified. So that's my uh, last two weeks. Phil, uh, my big thing for this week is GI Joe. Um, once again, on a different on an, uh, on this platform, I will also blame Jared Rasher. Um, Jared wound up as, uh, I think part of, uh, his review of the GI Joe game ran a GI Joe game for some of our friends. Um, and it got me, um, super interested in GI Joe, um, both the role-playing game and then the comic books of which I have them all digitally. And, um, I just fell down a GI Joe rabbit hole. It's like part nostalgia, but it's also kind of part, like I'm really into, um the idea of military like rpg military fiction stuff but also i'm not really ready to play twilight 2000 because that seems like a little like not so um uplifting happy um and maybe that's not my right place but gi joe would hit that spot um so anyway i I haven't bought the game or anything yet because we have two really good games going and i'm not I'm, i'm not really out to shake up either one of those so i just started reading all the comic books again i'm like 50 60 issues in on the original um, Marvel run. Um, and it's pretty decent, actually. I mean, you can still tell where it, it is a vehicle to push toys, but it actually has some um, decent stories, decent missions. And unlike the cartoon show, is not afraid to put bullets in people. Um, there have been a number of people shot, some characters lost and things like that. So um, it's been pretty good. Other stuff. Um, I've been continuing my binge of SEAL Team on Paramount Plus. Excellent. Uh, no Man's Sky got a patch the, um, that has added pirates and space combat. Totally fun. Uh, I started uh, playing PGA 2K21, uh, getting my hands at a little uh, console golfing, um, which is also a very chill event. Uh, and Bob and I went and saw the movie Everywhere, Everything, All at Once. And we'll probably mention it in the after show because holy shit. Yep. What a movie. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Go see it. Okay. Take us out of here, Bob. All right. So time for our Patreon shout outs. So thank you very much to Randy Farmer, the old school DM. Sean Merwin, our very own Mad Wizard. Troy Sandlin. Zach Goins. Carlos Martin. 
Chris Constantine, Cindy Moore, Eric Simon, Mirko Froelich, and Andrew Demps. And thanks to everyone for listening tonight. Indeed, indeed. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, come join us live on Twitch, where you can chat with the other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. That makes a live show. Check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Pandas Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Zhang Hu Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and the incredible, incredible back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. As you are codifying your culture into a social contract, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly via the old-fashioned email, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. You can also, for now, hit us all up on Twitter. <laughs> for now. Um, we'll let you know if that changes. But um, the show in the network is at Misdirected Mark. Uh, he's Robert M. Everson. He's GM Gerrymander. I am DNA Phil. And just in case something on Twitter goes sketchy, like some tech bro buys it and ruins the whole thing, I'm DNA Phil pretty much everywhere. So don't worry. I'll leave just about everywhere. I'll leave a breadcrumb trail. You'll be able to find me. All right. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are all at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhangu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhangu Hustle. And bonus experiences at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This mm. has been a misdirected Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.